I'm Commander Shepard, and Normandy FM is my favorite show on the Citadel. Normandy FM. 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 Hello and welcome to the second to last episode of Normandy FM, colon, Mass Effect, colon, Andromeda. Kenneth, we're almost there. We're so close. The penultimate episode. We're so close to the blessed, blessed end of this game. Well, don't sound too fucking excited. See, I mean, granted, I'm going to say now, like, before we get into this episode, this was, like, the point, like, everything we're not going to talk about this episode was the point where, like, everything that annoys me about this game came to a head and was just in our faces for a long, extended amount of time. I mean, there, you know, there's some good stuff that we, we will talk about, but, like, huh. There, like I'll, I will, I will join you in some of the, like just the very tired blech of open world bullshit. But you're saying this, this is the episode about open world bullshit because this is the pathfinding episode. I mean, originally when we planned this out, the idea was that this episode we would go back, we'd address some of the side quests, some of the side missions that didn't really fit neatly anywhere else in the season, but played a critical role in some way to the story or to some of the characters that aren't necessarily part of your combat fire team but are still part of your your ship your crewmates so characters like Kalo, suvi uh gil and lexi some of those storylines uh the idea was that we would go to some of those also do some of the main story missions like movie night and uh the salarian one truth and trespass but as we quickly found out in discussions over the last week uh things don't fit quite so neatly as we thought uh ken i believe you explained it as there are basically two pillars to the end of this game uh Mm. there is the journey to meridian which is kind of the end game mission but uh in the recording that we had started right before this which we had to then redo you're listening to take number two uh because audacity froze on me (laughs) That's a podcast first. Um, you you described it as basically the Cerberus lab and then uh, the the Earth mission from Mass Effect Three. That there's this there are yeah. kind of two sequential missions that make up the end game of Mass Effect Andromeda, and there's some things that happen in between there in that little chasm between the two pillars. And so because of that, we're delaying talking about some missions like movie night which happens in that in between and also some character specific character beats that only happen either in that in between or after the end of uh andromeda from what i understand uh and also there are some things we won't quite get to yet which is mostly romance stuff uh for ken that's gill and then i also haven't seen some of gill's uh platonic endgame scenes so that fits in neatly and also uh 
I have chosen a romance. Uh, the national crisis is over. Uh, my indecision Yay. finally has ended because uh, those who have been listening will remember that last week uh, we had come to the conclusion that I had messed up my... Or no, this wasn't even last week. This was a couple weeks ago that I had messed yeah, up the my... Episode. Yeah, the PB episode. We determined that I had messed up my romance with PB by doing the zero-G uh, Z-axis tango and when i went to finally go do this pb uh kind of end cap mission that i had skipped over because i was afraid it might start uh, like a full-on romance trigger i i went because i was like okay well if it doesn't start any sort of actual romance i'll go and i'll do that episode now or that mission now uh and when i went there it gave me the option of committing to the romance or staying friends and i was like oh and there's no way of delaying this either. I got to make a decision now. <laughs> there was there was no third option. So uh, I thought long and hard, and I uh, made my choice. And I am romancing PB, uh, which I like. Vetra, Vetra's great. She's my flirty Garrus buddy. But at the end of the day, uh, as many other people have discovered on Normandy FM, I seem to have a type, and <laughs> I. I just got to go with my heart on this. And and we mentioned this in the in the take before this, but not much changes in that scene uh where PB and and Ryder are are kind of talking afterwards after the crew's left, except Ryder then says like I want you, I want all the strings, and then PB kind of recreates the the jumping tackle that she gets you with early on in the story, <laughs> which was very cute, it's very adorable. Aww. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing how that culminates in the end because, uh, I like her character. I think she's an interesting mm. character. Uh, and also like, I felt good about my choice because I feel like Vetra needs to be that strong, independent Turian woman now needs to go out and find out who she is, you know, without, <laughs> without attachments. She doesn't need attachments right now. You know, she's mm. got to live that life. Uh, so the the stuff that we're going to go over this this episode because of the way that this that all of these missions have split out and the way we've kind of had to delay things around we won't be talking about the Solarian mission that's truth and trespass uh because the the impression that i got from reading about it and that that ken has also intimated to me was that this is not necessarily a story critical mission and the contents of it do not really play there's not much to discuss there um it's kind of just an interesting side mission that flips a switch for the end game kind of puts another variable in play but doesn't necessarily add anything that it that like merits discussion on our end uh other than that we will be talking about some of the crewmate story beats uh we will be talking about know your enemy which is a very ket centric a side mission that does have endgame implications and then we'll be talking about the actually settling of the other uh what do they call them again they're the habitat worlds or home worlds or something like that habitat worlds habitat worlds that's, that sounds right yeah uh some of that stuff uh with Port Kadara and Elodin, which are kind of the the last two that we have not touched on yet we didn't really talk much about Havarl I guess, but Havarl doesn't... There, there's some interesting stuff there in terms of uh, researching Angaran uh, history and kind of, you know, 
it there there were some nice story beats that I kind of wish had been part of Jaws loyalty mission in terms of yeah. there's a lot of oh you know we're reclaiming who the Angara are we need to kind of set aside our anger and work towards the greater good uh you know there and there was a lot of you know like oh this guy didn't care about his heritage he just cared about like getting back at people he was he was young and he was hot tempered and all that but now he's thinking in the grander scheme of things while you know the people who shut them off are kind of opening up to the world it was it was very nice i liked it um but overall it wasn't anything that was critical to our discussion again like i kind of wish all that stuff had been folded into jaws loyalty mission in some way because it felt like it would have gelled a little bit more there uh it even involves jaw a little bit if i remember correctly but or or maybe that's just because if you bring him along he has some extra dialogue and all that but um it, it was nice so that's what we'll be talking about today the the crewmates uh know your enemy port kadara and Elodin. And we'll start with the crewmates because I feel like that's some of the like the quicker, lighter uh, beats to hit. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about Callow and Gil up to this point, and we've covered most of the stuff with Gil. Uh, but Callow is kind of an interesting character because most of his arc is just his kind of animosity with Gil. And uh, yeah. we finally have hit the, the point where it comes to a head where uh, Gil has made, you know, the he is the straw that broke the camel's back and Callow storms off and they get into a shouting match basically in the middle of the tempest uh Callow is saying with everybody watching yeah with everybody gathering around to watch of course uh Callow is saying that you know Salarians have different memory they have very you know Callow especially has very photographic memory remembers things very vividly and so they have all these very specific memories of the time that uh Kello's team spent putting together this ship uh lots of time spent together uh working on it with all these wonderful scientists who are now all gone essentially you know they were left behind in the milky way galaxy Kello, i think is one of the only person from that original yeah. tempest team to make the jump to mm-hmm. yeah right uh so yeah basically he's like you're desecrating the work of my friends who are all dead and Gil is retorting by saying, we need to make these adjustments because like, you did great work, but there is no way you could have anticipated what was coming in Andromeda. There is no way you could have known what was going to happen. And so we need to make adjustments so we can do the job we got to do and survive. And I, I liked this. I just... <laughs> It kills me a little bit that Callow has to be defined by this conflict. Like, I wish there had been some way for them to frame it that isn't just solely about Callow arguing with Gil over and over again. Because I, for a while, I was like, oh, this is like a really dry bit that they keep doing where it's like, oh, he's... you do get some bits about, you know, you can talk to him about stories about making the Tempest or every once in a while when you talk to him, he'll just tell you one. But I felt like, you know, of all the times that Callow gets not just the typical like talking heads back and forth but like their own cutscene and discussion and with choices and and you know emotions and all that uh it's it's kind of defined by this conflict with Gil and I almost like as far as I saw there was no like further resolution past the point where you 
determine which side of that conflict you're on there is there is like a small talking head scene but there's not really like some grander cut scene like an epilogue that's... that some of the other companions get well, or have i not the... okay is is that like yeah later you, on? you must not have seen it yeah there is definitely a sort of like a follow-up to it okay. which i think is probably like the thing that really encapsulates what i think is really interesting about Callo is that we haven't had a Solarian that is as sentimental as he is like I mean, more than like clearly has like, you know his own sort of like. Oh, so you you tell me about this because I feel like I saw this scene. Then it sounds like the the way yeah. you're phrasing this makes me think I saw the scene. Well, the scene is or well, okay. Who did you side with? I guess, oh yeah, yeah. So in the conflict, um, they make their case, and you basically have to choose one side. I chose Gil because he was right, making it's logical. Yeah, That's he's right. making a lot of sense. Make, yeah. You could tell that Callow is making a very emotional argument, which, again, like like you said, exactly. that's a yeah. very strange thing from a Solarian character that we don't see very often, which I appreciate it. But at the same time, it's like, dude, we've got to make changes to the ship. We can't just keep it exactly the same because you're sad all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the way, I mean, in that scenario where you do set up a kill, uh, you can come up to Callow later and he's like, can I maybe borrow you for a minute and uh upload something up to like the type of systems for Gil to have and he's like what, like, what is it like it's the, the original schematics i drew them up from memory so Gil could have them to better repair the ship and make all the changes he needs to and you can kind of be like this is still bothering you isn't it or you can be like i i kind of was like i i think the option i said was like Gil's gonna take good care of the ship and he's gonna put them to good put these schematics to good use and then he has this moment where he's like, you know, we forget that everything that we've done to get here yeah. didn't just, you know, appear and that it was made by people and we don't, I don't want my friends to be forgotten and like in Gil doing, making all these changes. So it is, I mean, yeah, it is framed through Gil, but I think it's more just about that, that sen- sentimentality and attachment mm-hmm. that he has and this, like, I guess like a, sort of a curse that is his like extremely vivid photographic memory to not be able to sort of let things go and then when that is kind of like taken out of his hands with Gil and us subsequently siding with him I just think that like that kind of is like how PB is very much the antithesis of Liara he feels like the antithesis of uh, Morden like any sort of like super logical by the book Solarian that we've met up to this point and that's and, you know, the, and we talked about like with PB and you know various other, various other characters like trying to get away from that like you know the way that they were expected to be in the Milky Way was sort of what brought a lot of them here. But with Kalo specifically, I feel like it was it was kind of in the same way. It's still the thing that makes him different than the majority of his species in that culture is what brought him. But it wasn't necessarily like, trying to get away from something. It was trying to get to something and trying to stay with something that mattered to him. In a way that, you know, most Solarians don't get attached to anything like that. Yeah, it's... So I did see that scene. Um, I, I think I just, like, didn't consider it as big because it wasn't, like, this big to-do like some of the other characters have. Like like what PB had, where you have this big moment where everybody's talking. It's just kind of like, you talk to him and he's like, oh, can I do this thing? Yeah, sure. Um, and I did. I was like, you know, Gil's going to take good care of this ship. Um, I, I guess maybe I just wanted more out of Callow. Uh, and, and also, like, by extension, Suvi, who we're not going to talk much about because we've actually already talked about all the things that really happen with Suvi, or that can happen up to this point in the story. Uh, yeah. Because, 
you you kind of implied that there might be more to come but uh for where we are right now we've seen all the story scenes and i guess i i will say since there is more game to play uh i like that these characters feel more fleshed out because uh one of the things that you don't think about very often we kind of talked about a lot when we were doing the first couple mass effects is how much the like a few members of the normandy became like mainstays of it specifically joker and chocolates and uh it felt like they were trying to do the same thing but with more characters this time you know uh over time mass effect got to the point you know they added the the two engineers who are down at the bottom who are always bickering and uh you know presley like kind of tried to be a character in the first one and they killed him uh <laughs> because he was like xenophobic <laughs> I, I don't know but um and and then Edie went from being like a ship fixture to being a part of your team and all that but it it still kind of felt like the normandy itself was a character but not like the the people who were on it mattered as much like even joker started to feel like he was not so much a crew member of the Normandy as an actual character who was just kind of part and parcel with the Normandy. The thing I've liked about Andromeda is that I really feel like the Tempest is a home base. It's a hub. Mm -hmm. It's got people who live in it, who move around in it, who talk in it, who talk with each other in it. Uh, And also, like, the crew interacts with each other, and it's not just Mm -hmm. the combat personnel. It's the engineer. It's the navigator and the pilot and... uh, the doctor and all that who are all talking to each other all the time and i actually thought mm-hmm. lexi's stuff was well it was it was fairly hit and miss for most of the game but i thought the way it, the last story beat that i've seen leading up to where we are which is you find her about to get to the bottom of a bottle uh in a bar on the nexus uh over something that pb told her which is pb tells her that uh, she just sees everyone on the Tempest as an experiment to like mess with because right. you know as we've learned yeah. throughout most of this game at this point, um, you know Lexi had the line after we got back from, uh, oh I forget where it is the Archon ship, you know after Sam had stopped our heart, Lexi's like very concerned about going like oh right. I don't like that and and like you kind of learn that she's been able to monitor everybody's health. And PB obviously does not like that, gets kind of mad at her. Yeah. Uh, and she, you know, kind of opens up about that. You know, she's like, that's not the first time I've been accused of that. Do you think I actually care? Or do you think I, I really do view everyone as experiments? And obviously, like, Ken, we're not heartless creatures. We we tell her, mm-hmm. like, no, we think you care, right? Right, Ken? Right. Right, okay. Of course, of course. <laughs> okay, I'm making sure. <laughs> Sometimes you throw me for a loop here. <laughs> um. And I was like, that was kind of a moment that I'd been looking for with Lexi because she had been kind of funny at times and played the foil when necessary and all that. But I was looking for where that character development from her was going to come from. And I thought, okay, you know, we get a little bit of her character here. You know, she's sad because she's like, I'm from Omega. You'd think I know how to drink and all that. And uh, (laughs) it's... I'm I'm hoping there's like my general thought on all the crew at this point, with maybe the exception of Gil, who has had the most character development as far as I can tell, um, because you know we had the the mission where we actually go meet his friends. Uh, we're kind of getting to know him as a person. Uh, it I just feel like all the crewmates have enough 
character development to feel like you know characters but i maybe haven't hit the point yet where i'm like where with other characters where i hit that point where i'm like okay i get a sense of who they are as a character they have had growth they have like a personality that i can define a little bit i haven't hit that point with any of the crew members yet and that's maybe the one thing i haven't liked about it i like the concept i like where they're going with it it just i have yet to feel like they have reached that point with each of these Mm. tempest crew members so i'm wondering how you kind of feel about the whole tempest crew at this point i think they get i mean it is it does kind of suck that a lot of them don't get like proper missions like the way that the squad mates do and that's just the nature of like that's not somebody that you can bring out onto the field with you but for Suvi specifically i'll i'll put a pin in her because stuff that happens in the meridian levels is where she gets like that sort of like that next step that we can like sort of like the implications of what happens there inform things that we've already talked with her about and sort of you know, shifts her mindset in a way that we've got to kind of, that she's got to confront and that we will confront with her. Um, mm. Gil also, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on him next episode. For Callow, I, I personally was kind of satisfied with the way that his wrapped up with him kind of accepting that he, like, one, he was able to sort of voice his concerns in a way that wasn't so disruptive to, I guess, the way the Tempest was working where you could have that moment of being like, I want to be able I want us to be able to remember the people that made this for us and what we've what we did back in the Milky Way that got us to this point. And so like I was kind of I was content with sort of the wrapping up of his story there. I don't really like unlike other characters, I don't really get a sense of where he might go in a future game though. Yeah. That's sort of that is like I guess my my wrapping thoughts on Callow there. He seems like a character they could kill in a future game to give you some sort of emotional like loss without necessarily Stop. losing a critical member of the Tempest. Don't. <laughs> I'm just no. That's just floating that out there. <laughs> Stop it. Okay. Um, Lexi, I don't know. Like, I mean, I it was sort of the same way. Like I, I what I did love that scene of her at the bar, and you having that moment of her being like, "No, I know that you care. Like you listen to me, fucking." talk about these weird memories my dad left me and I can't talk to anybody else in the game about that. So, like, I guess I I liked sort of the, the through line of her story of, like, having to kind of confront sort of accusations being thrown at her. And again, but I, I, I don't really know where she goes next. That's... I guess that's, that's sort of, like, my issue with those two characters in particular is, like, there's not a sort of really defined path for them yet mm. at this point and you know I mean, I'm not saying that necessarily you have to have a defined sort of foreshadowing towards where someone's gonna go next because I mean there are a lot of points where like we didn't get that like in the trilogy like you said like Joker like the character he became was not the character he seemed to be at the end of Mass Effect 1 so I don't think that you have right. to sort of like show your hand right out the gate but it does you know in comparison to other characters, they it feels like there's like just that extra step missing. Yeah, they're the characters with the least like if if I had to make a list of every character and start to define their like you know these are their character traits which make them who they are, I would run out of uh, bullet points on those two faster than I would for any other character. I I know the yeah. least about them. I I also have the least attachment to them. Part of me kind of wondered if that was at least in Lexi's case, due to the fact that um, she was portrayed by Natalie Dormer, who is, you know, a celebrity, and sometimes 
especially in the era that this was, I mean, I say era that this was made, this is not that long ago, but, um, the idea of bringing in a celebrity guest character for, or guest voice actor for games usually ends up resulting in a character that maybe doesn't have a lot of dialogue. Maybe does not, it, it does not play as central of a role as somebody who would be recording, you know, maybe double the amount of lines. I think even in Mass Effect, we have something we can look at with that in regards to, um, I always forget her name. The the reporter from Mass Effect Three, uh, the character or Chobot. Well, yeah, her character, um, Diana Allers. Yeah, Diana Allers. Like, she was a very low impact character, all things considered. You know, she was just kind of there, had a couple scenes with her. Uh, there was an optional sort of romance thing that you could do, and that was really about it. It was not super in depth, and I believe with Lexi, there's not even a romance plotline in in the bottle scene specifically she says like that's why i'm not looking for relationships and i was like that's one way to make sure the player knows what's up i guess <laughs> um oh i will mention i i do want to mention quick um i'd been doing the side quest line with the journalist that was on uh yeah, yeah. the nexus and uh contrary to my own ethics i had been flirting with her <laughs> um Great. the second look I told you from the outset, my rider is chaotically horny. <laughs> we, we live that chaotically <laughs> horny life, all right? Um, from So the second I had like locked in that romance with PB, the next uh, time I saw the journalist, she like brought up a line that was like, hey, I know you're seeing someone right now, and I don't want that to start messing with what we're doing here. So do you want to like keep going and basically she floats it she's like let's put the romance on hold until after we're done like doing all these vid docs and then we can kind of see where we're at or you can kind of turn her down and say like no let's just stop flirting or whatever let's just stay professional huh uh mm-hmm. which was weird uh because i kind of like maybe this is just you know bioware getting a little bit more responsive with this stuff but i had assumed that this was one of those bioware romances that was like this is the freebie romance that doesn't count Mm. um yeah this is this is like the pb zero g scene or this is like um in dragon age 2 can't you romance um uh god i'm already gonna get so many of these names wrong and we have a whole series for me to do that in um isabella um yeah you can have a fling with her yeah yeah you can have a fling but not necessarily have it like stick Right. Um, so I thought this is one of those sorts of things. Turns out it was not, uh, you gotta stay committed with that journalist if you're going to be getting into those weird ethical gray areas. But, <laughs> uh, no. And also I thought that was going to like completely kill the quest line if I chose the no option, which I did. And turns out she was like, okay, we'll stay professional. We'll keep doing interviews, but we will stop flirting with each other. And I was like, Hey, look, that's great all around good job everyone (laughs) the only one who suffers is my in-game avatar who is now chaotically horny and has one less output for that (laughs) um Mm -hmm. uh but i also wanted to mention like on the romance front you are romancing someone who is not in your squad so you don't have any Mm -hmm. like special dialogue that happens while you're driving the nomad or anything um Mm -mm. i've gotten one at least already that i think is only triggered if you are romancing pb 
um, where it was kind of, as I was driving around doing this next mission, know your enemy, see that segue there, <laughs> um, <laughs> as as I got to uh, different parts, I had PB and Jal in my squad for most of the time, and uh, there was a running thing of PB saying, oh, Jal's snoring again, can't you like hit a bump or something to wake him up? And uh Ryder's like no I'll just let him sleep he's fine and he keeps like progressively snoring louder and louder throughout you know like different <laughs> segments and then finally it gets to the end of it like you're just driving along it's like dead quiet and PB's like Ryder wait no not here and Ryder's kind of like what <laughs> and then PB goes no <laughs> No, even if Jaws asleep, what if he wakes up? What if he catches us? And then she starts like moaning and stuff, and it like gets progressively Holy louder shit. and more heated. And Ryder's just like, "What are you doing?" And Peepee's just getting like, it's, "I will not recreate it here on this podcast. It's not that sort of podcast." But getting progressively more and more, and then all of a sudden, Jaws just like, "You can pull over, and I can hop out for a minute if y'all need to finish this." And Peepee's like, "Holy huh, shit! I knew you were faking it." And then. Jaw comes back and says, I'm not the only one who was faking it. And I was like, what? <laughs> oh, man. I was I was taken aback. I was like, this is gold. This is, oh, Andromeda. You, I need to find that. Yeah, no, find some of those. I think that it's probably worth looking at all of them. But uh, I think those are only if you have romanced certain characters and they play out only if you have other characters there. Uh, yeah. And I was... I was very happy I found that. <laughs> that was the bright light in the otherwise dim, dim darkness that is Know Your Enemy, uh, which is... Holy shit. It's the living embodiment of everything I don't like about this game. Let, let me just float that out there right now. This is... Ev- like I've, I know I've said that about previous missions. This is the one. This is the one that, that takes the cake. Because... Air, it's on three freaking different planets for for starters. Why do people who make open world games put mountains in their fucking open world games? Did you so on the the EOS part you went flying off the side of the mountain, right? You like Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Like I and that's that's like a recurring problem for me whenever I play anything that's remotely fucking open world. I can't fucking stand mountains. I can't like it is not interesting for me to be like, oh, you see the mountain, you can go there. I don't, I don't give a fuck. I I want all the video games I play to be on like completely flat ground, and I want from like the process of getting from one side to the other to be about thirty seconds max. You should like, you should not play I don't Death think Stranding. You won't like Death Stranding. I'm just gonna tell you that right now. You won't like Death Stranding. Good to know. Good to know. I just, I, and like the fucking nomad can barely traverse that shit. Oh, like, it's who, so bad. Why, the the six wheel drive is, is so slow and you have to boost up some parts to even like get forward momentum. Why people think that's fun and interesting. I don't fucking understand why anyone that has like anything that resembles limited time in their day to do any one thing likes the process of fucking climbing up a mountain or even just like going across an open world like it's just where i'm I, we're getting into like like this is getting deeper mm. than mass fiction andromeda but just like i just i'm so fucking tired of games that want me to like to, to want that want to take so much of my time up that they make the act of getting from point a to point b this fucking struggle like literally this 
uphill battle to get from one side of the place to the other just so I can beat up a bunch of fucking cat who will tell me to go to the other side of the map. So here's here's what I'll say. Um, and I promise this is going to circle back around to Mass Effect Andromeda. Do not worry. Uh, what are your feelings on Breath of the Wild? I got a couple hours in, and then I was like, I like the idea of this game. I like what it's doing, but the things that I admire about it are the same reason I never want to fucking play that game again. So, the the thing that makes Breath of the Wild for me, because I frequently, like, I we are doing, at, at US Gamer right now where I work, we are doing our voting for the best of the decade list and on my Mm. top 10 ballot i put breath of the wild pretty darn high because i think it's just a fascinating game i think it is probably the most important game that came out this this last decade it will be the one that you will definitely see echoes of it in game you're already seeing echoes of it in games that will continue for years and years to come but the thing that strikes me a lot in, t- in relation to Andromeda is that Breath of the Wild's open world is completely it is as optional as you want it to be you know they they start you out you, you have that kind of tutorial area where you're on the plateau and then you you get down from it and it basically says hey cool you can go kill Ganon now if you want and you can go straight for the castle you can go explore, you know, they're a little, it might say like, hey, you know, doing these dungeons might make fighting Ganon easier. You don't have to do them, but they're there. It gives you kind of hints at where some of the story content is. It doesn't tell you where some of the other story content is at all. They're just pieces of that world that you just get to discover if you decide you want to discover it. And then that let the designers just really run wild with the design of so many areas in that game. They're so incredible because they basically got to design it like you weren't going to have to force a player through it. And this is how I'm circling it back to Andromeda. The The whole setup of Know Your Enemy, I mean, on, on the outset, you're kind of gradually learning that there is a splinter faction of Ket that disagree with the Archon. They still want to do all the Ket shit that Ket do, but they think that the Archon is going about it the wrong way. They don't like his infatuation with Meridian and the Remnants. Uh, they think that he is bringing the Ket race down and uh, needlessly uh, like wasting resources on trying to find the Remnant when they should just be, you know, um, it's the word I can't remember, um, exalting. Exaltation. Yeah, yeah, they should just be exalting the remaining Angaran and then leaving, uh, which is you know what they do um we do not know exactly why yet i imagine we will discover very very soon uh as to the ultimate reason for why they exalt other races um but that is that's that's the setup the way that you go about it is you basically bounce from planet to planet from point a to point b to point c you show up, you shoot some cat, you scan a terminal, and you're off to the next one. And it is so mind-numbingly dull because you are basically just being handheld through this series of staged encounters that you have to check off one by one by one. And at the end of the day, I was just kind of left there thinking like, the very like the very beginning of this mission is you touch down at Vold, 
and you walk into that base, which is like the first thing you see on Vold if you are going to Vold for the first time. You talk to somebody there, and then they say, yeah, I got a weird signal, here's the nav point. And then it puts that nav point on the other side of the freaking map from you. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, at this point, we have forward stations. We can bounce around a little mm-hmm. bit. But still, when I'm looking at that as as just a design of a quest, I'm going... Why could you not just tell me to go there in the first place? Like, we have this universe that has email and VidCon, and I needed to go, like, they, it's almost like they try to retroactively justify it. Like, they're like, oh, I can't believe Ryder showed up person. You really care about this. And Ryder's like, yep, I really care about this. And you're like, I don't fucking care about this. (laughs) I just wasted (laughs) ten minutes watching load screens. (laughs) it's so the thing that the thing that's so frustrating to me about this mission aside from everything I just said is that it sort of encapsulates the underlying problem with Mass Effect Andromeda is that I mean like not like I don't we, don't, we can get to the end when we get to the end but like the actual story that's happening here the things you're uncovering like the actual depth that, that it's bringing to the cat as like a faction is kind of great like they mm-hmm. it's more like you know we've gotten stuff like we've learned we've learned about the archon specifically and like sort of like how he operates yeah, like what an archon sort of... means in the terms of the cat hierarchy yeah that, that the archon is just part of a much larger whole and we learn that there's like a senate mm-hmm. and we learn that there's different factions and they're doing this all over the andromeda galaxy and like it's all buried under the shit (laughs) exactly like it's it's so frustrating because like it encapsulates what it is about Mass Effect and drama that is so frustrating is that the core Bioware experience as we know it it's here it's like in this game but it is it's not even buried it's just like side by side given like the exact same amount of like priority and attention as the open world bullshit that separates the points of like really interesting stuff by things that waste your fucking time, and I just it, it imagine how much easier this like game would have been to both to play but like to make to like review to write about to talk about if it wasn't if everything wasn't so spread out between these like vats of open world bullshit that you just fall into and you get stuck and you have to Mm -hmm. climb out and to get to that other point Mm -hmm. of like actually genuinely interesting world building and it sucks because like the the ramifications of the end and like the implications of the ending of this mission are so cool like it's such like one of the coolest buried like I mean and we'll get we'll get to the most buried in open world bullshit stuff like in the next episode but like how many people do you think got, like even just like critical path to this game and didn't see the end of this didn't know that this plot line was there because they didn't feel like going to search through like various points on EOS to find this signal bouncing thing that goes all throughout EOS because it doesn't want to be traced but we're tracing it so I don't I don't really know what they hope to accomplish but then I guess we did find out later that they weren't trying to necessarily deter us they were deterring other people while giving us like a paper trail to follow but it's just... Oh, God. Ken, you know what I hate? Like, this... You know what I... Mm, I just want to say, up? you know what I really hate? There's a part mm. in this mission, okay, where you get mm. this data pad. And this data mm-hmm. pad, you're like, Sam, 
Can't you just hack it? You've hacked so many data pads. You got this. Sam's like, not this kind of data pad. I can't handle this. But maybe Suvi can. And I'm like, great. Send yeah, the info. No, was... we're not done yet, Ken. <laughs> I'm like, great. Send the info to Suvi. And he's like, nah, we gotta bring it back to the Tempest. And I'm like, cool. We've gotta sit through more loading screens. And then we get back up to the Tempest. And I talk to Suvi, and Suvi's like, yep, I looked at the thing that Sam sent me. And I was like, oh, cool. The thing that said couldn't do can do it now all right neat uh what do you make of it suvi give me a nav point and suvi's like i don't know about this maybe lexi does and i'm like you are mcfucking kidding me (laughs) and i roll over (laughs) to a ladder and go down a goddamn ladder and i walk over to the med bay and you know what's happened suvi has now sent the info over to lexi they can communicate wirelessly they just don't want to let Ryder in on the fun (laughs) and lexi's just like (laughs) I put in some magic using DNA sequencers, and Suvi's like, all right, let's feed it to Sam, and then Sam can brute force it, and Sam's like, now I'm useful, and finds a nav point. It's like, why don't you go here? And I'm like, why couldn't you do all of this when I was still back on the fucking planet? <laughs> like, like, Well, I mean, in fairness, we don't go to the same planet. You don't go to the same planet. I'm just saying there are extra steps in this that literally... Like, for some reason... Okay, let's say that, you know, we still have to go to EOS anyways. So, the they're sitting there going, like, okay, well, uh, the player's gonna go to Elodin, get the data pad from the crash ship, and then, you know, maybe Sam can't do it alone, so we want to have this moment where it's the whole, sh- you know, it's the whole ship working in tandem. It's not a bad idea, this idea of being like, okay, you know, this isn't just Sam being a cool computer, you know, everybody's kind of working together to their best strengths. Mm-hmm. Uh, why couldn't you just get back on the ship and then they play a quick cutscene where you are talking to Suvi and Lexi and they explain to you how they figured this out and then you have a nav point. Why do you have all this stuff in there where you have to take initiative and talk to all the people and run to their different rooms and then run back to the nav point and go to a planet? Like, it's just... There are so many extra steps in here that feel like they're just there because either no one thought to take them out or they just wanted some level of interactivity and self-agency and, like, you are driving... You know, like, oh, maybe you don't want to go do that yet. Maybe you want to do something else, and Pathfinders need to forge their own path. And I'm like, it's it's either nobody noticed this. Like, it, it, that's been my whole thing with Andromeda. Is like, there's so many little nuisances like this that just build up over time. Where I'm like, either nobody noticed this over hours and hours and hours and hours of playtime, or they just decided it was not important enough to tune up. And I know, like, we've talked about. I mean, we talked about it on the podcast, we talked about it on our recent um, Extra Life stream where you and I played the Andromeda multiplayer, um, where, you know, there was a release schedule for this game, a development schedule for this game that was tough, that was difficult, uh, and so maybe there was that was determined it was not the best time to spend on it, and I'm already looking at the time we have on this podcast so far and going, we've spent a lot of time on a mission that doesn't have much in it, uh, so to like move this expediently along... Uh, I just wish, because like you said, we get to this revelation at the end that like, okay, we found who is broadcasting this, who is 
creating this splinter faction within the cat oh my god it's the it's primus it's this person who we've seen in these cutscenes who's always doubting the archon and she offers us this like kind of ultimatum like she kind of says like hey i still want to do cat shit but you and i both want to get rid of the archon so why don't i help you get rid of the archon and then we can go to war uh and we we get this option to either like you know accept the help uh, which means, like, we'll, they'll send us a code that'll shut off the um, the the Primus's ship in the middle of the the big fight, or we say shove it. Um, I told her to shove it. <laughs> okay. Uh, I see from your notes that not. you made a different choice. So I'm interested why you took that choice. First of all, I want to know who did you have in your party when you did this choice. Uh, I had Vetra and Jal. Okay, I had PB and Jal, and I'm guessing Jal was not mm-hmm. happy about the choices that you made. Yeah, Jal was not down, but Vetra was kind of like the voice of reason amongst us. I don't because like there is a point if you like do the investigation options where she says basically, one by doing this, I am her her logic was like, I have done this, I have exposed myself, so if you don't take this deal then I am going to probably be exposed anyway. So, like, I'm, like, she's making it clear that she has put herself on the line to make this happen, so her betrayal is not something that she does lightly, and also that kind of gives you a little bit of, sort of, not trust, per se, but, like, reasoning to doubt her less, I guess. Mm -hmm. That this is, like, something that, you know, like, not that I should care that she put herself on the line, but there is something that resembles genuine logic here i guess so i was like anything to help me accomplish what i'm trying to do okay basically was my thought i see that i raise you uh one counterpoint she still wants to exalt a whole shitload of angarans so uh how about i toast both of their ships that was my thought process <laughs> was i'ma sink the archon ship and then i'ma sink yours uh, because mm. screw both of y'all and the ships you flew in on. <laughs> that that Fair. that is the that is it for me. <laughs> that's, I mean that's that's totally valid. Yeah, not a fan. Um, but I, ultimately, I just felt like that mission was like it's is a cool opportunity for lore that didn't have much else interesting going on. It is like this good encapsulation of what makes Andromeda andromeda but we've got a lot to talk yep. about so let's move along um port kadara so this is one of like the first what i'll call extracurricular uh habitat worlds for us because you do not necessarily need to do either kadara or Eladin to finish the game correct like you don't need to right uh yeah you don't need right. to settle them to or even necessarily do these plot lines to get to the end of the game uh but the more interesting thing with Kadara is that it kind of uh, settles a conflict that was set up when we visited it earlier in the playthrough. Uh, and that's between the Collective and Sloane's Exiles. Uh, which, what was their formal name again? They had a formal name, right? It's not the Collective. It's. No, I'm. Th- Wait. I think it's just the Exiles. It's just the Exiles and the Collective. Or, or basically, like, Sloane's. Yeah army and the collect because the collective is basically uh this like spy network kind of made up by Mm -hmm. led by the mysterious charlatan who 
uh, nobody knows who or what the charlatan really is, and they're kind of the new game in town that is uh, trying to take over from Sloan. And we're we're doing a lot of very uh, like small jobs for all these different um, factions building up over time. Uh, and, and I'm reading through some of your notes. There is so much here that I don't think we need to go expressly beat by beat by beat. Yeah. But um, yeah. as, as we get further in, uh, obviously you uh, are a big fan of Reyes, as I can see here. You like you like Hell the Reyes. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Space Severin. Mm-hmm. And then we also learn a little bit about Sloane and um, her her second in command whose name is is it invictus is that who i'm thinking of no that what, his name's in here somewhere it's it, it's a name that reminds me of invictus um cadis cadis um or kytus mm. i think that's i think that's kytus yeah, yeah. yeah um we kind of learned about their relationship too and i i thought we already talked about the um the the Dr. Nakamoto stuff, but I guess we did not. Um, the first kind of major decision that we make on this planet is that we have, uh, as we're investigating the planet, kind of trying to raise the viability of it, we learn about an outbreak of this drug, uh, and we find a doctor, Dr. Nakamoto, who is treating people who are really just tripping balls on this, on this drug, or just having a bad time. Uh as we he asks us to go get the formula back because basically he's the only one that can really make it happen uh it's him and the formula and if they don't have the formula they're not going to be able to do that um so when we get there when we get to this place uh we find an asari doctor who is in there uh nakamoto claims that he had a he had originally created the drug as a penicillin essentially and then sloan discovered that it could be used as a psychedelic and then started selling it for that um i forgot what the name of it was it was like void or something like that a really good name so like a really good space drug name um i should put that in my notes i know right it was a good space drug name it was like void out or something like that it was like a really good name uh so that's what Dr. Nakamoto tells us, but when we go to this outpost and kill all the guards guarding the formula, there's an Asari doctor inside who says that the breakthrough was a joint effort between the two of them, and that Nakamoto is lying, that he was not necessarily just... He, he did not have fully honorable intentions with that. Um, so, I did not believe her. I... Same. It was called Oblivion. Oblivion. Oh, that's a good name. Uh, man, if I was to make a series of video games, I might make that the fourth in that series. Um, mm. <laughs> uh, so I chose to not believe her because I'm like, this mm-hmm. is a person who is just panicking for their life. I've killed all their guards and she seems like she sucks. So I'm just going to, yep. I'm going to take that formula. I'm not going to let her get away with it. And as you put in here, you're willing to bet my life on that? Yep. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Which turns out to be the right choice that we made here, Ken. Because mm-hmm. apparently if we didn't make that choice, you can't settle Kadara at all. Which, boy, that's a hell of a... Yeah. I mean, you don't really get anything for making the other choice. You don't get like some special benefit as far as i can tell mm-hmm. for making the other choice so it's just no. like 
if you make the right choice here, you get to progress further here. And if not, screw you. <laughs> there are a couple instances like that in this game too, I think, because I've seen some stuff in uh, Elden as well, where like if you make one choice or the other, can't settle. Mm. I think that probably locks you out of like achievements and trophies and shit too. I don't know. So Dang. And then you'd have to play through thing. this game again. That'd be awful. Yeah. Imagine <laughs> that. Um... So as we work more and more through, we kill some some cat. We start dealing with the Rokar a little bit. Uh, we find out that there is a Rokar sect on this area, um, and and we keep kind of moving through all this stuff. And I'm trying to to move through because there's just so many odd jobs that you do. There are characters that you meet. There's just a lot going on, and uh, you even like kind of help Reyes like do. Do some stealing from uh, Sloan. You steal a bottle of whiskey. Like, I think it was actual Milky Way whiskey, right? Like, it was brought over from the Milky Way galaxy. Um, and you have this nice little scene where you're sitting there watching the 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 skyline. And I'm guessing... Huh. I'm, I'm reading here. I'm trying to get to the point. Did you did you get a little messy with him? Uh, maybe. Started making out. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm trying. Well, you're skipping over a whole lot there on the Reyes side because, did, like, that's sort of like we... the meat of the stuff. Did... Yeah, because well, like, I mean, gotta... so he he brings you over and like, I mean, I, I I breeze over this because there is a lot. There's a lot that happens on Port Kadara, but the sum of it is you're kind of getting Reyes as the Han Solo type, the very the the lovable scoundrel, the one who pulls you aside and makes out with you to you know trick the so you you did the thing where you kiss him i did the thing mm-hmm. where i punch him in the stomach and i'm like buddy can't hold his booze <laughs> and he's like keeled over like out of <laughs> breath yeah you can punch him in the gut and and do that uh, i don't know if that's because mm-hmm. you were doing the romance options that you got that whereas i was not so i got the other option but uh that was pretty good but um we're we're kind of setting up Sloane as this very heavy-handed leader who is at least keeping the order. Like I I, I may be building right. up some of my reasoning for a choice I'm going to make later on, but uh, Sloane is not perfect by any means, and she she does have some very harmful sides to her. Uh, but as you get to know her you kind of get a sense that she puts on a very strong front but is actually lenient when it comes to very critical things uh and she's you know a lot of the stuff about like exiling to the wastelands and all that has actually been very good for the community and overall she's like maintaining the peace in a way that few other places have in the helios cluster uh and she's doing it by just being the you know the baddest bitch on the throne you know she's got to put up that facade mm-hmm. um reyes on the other hand loves to play the lovable scoundrel you know he's he's a scamp he's uh stealing whiskey and kissing people and all that but he's got he's always playing he's always playing everybody you know you never really get a mm-hmm. sense that he has any allegiance which to me then makes him dangerous because if he's only ever serving himself, you know, when am I going to fall afoul of that? When is it my turn to be on mm. the other end of his gun at the end of the day? So um, I don't mean to completely skip every story beat. If there's something you want to bring up that I've jumped over. Uh, well, I mean, we can we can go ahead and like start working our way to the end and I'll sort of have like, we'll, we'll call it like an extended flashback. Okay, okay. When we get to that. Yeah, so, so let's, let's get to... 
let's get to the end point then because i'll make i'll make my case here because it kind of sounds like we both uh chose no wait did we uh, i'm i'm reading ah okay so we we chose some choices but you might have had a different reason so um we finally get to this point where uh we're going the charlatan has offered sloan a uh a parlay and it's it's come off the back of uh Kytus was found just completely messed up uh just absolutely messed up and it was that's like a very brazen way of saying that like the collective is done messing around uh and sloan calls on you to come with you because She's basically like she doesn't. She can't trust anyone in her organization anymore. She, you know, if Kaidus was the one who got got, then she it could be anybody who's betraying her at this point. She can't trust anybody, so she calls mm-hmm. on you. And I thought that was actually a very touching moment because I was, you know, we've had these moments of like Sloane showing a little bit of humanity and stuff, but in this scene specifically, mm-hmm. we suddenly see her like for who she is as a person. Like, you know, she does have things like, she cares about. She cares about Kaidus. She cares about. Um, not just maintaining her control, but maintaining the peace. And you can kind of tell that things are like slipping into chaos. It's getting harder for her to, you know, play the queen of the, the, the underground when it's slipping away Mm. from her, Um, which humanized her for me a lot. And so we go to parlay with the charlatan and in the world's least surprising twist. Oh my God. It's (laughs) Reyes. I was literally stepping out of the shadow. This like, so Ken, I will straight up tell you I didn't know it was Reyes, but the second we were sitting in Port Kadara in our very like in this playthrough of the game and you're sitting at the bar and somebody brings up the charlatan and you're talking to friggin' Reyes, I'm like, it's him, isn't it? Like nobody else is getting this. It's totally Reyes. <laughs> like mm. Um the story's like trotting him out for him to be that person. Uh, and so they're going to settle things, the, you know, Reyes and Sloan in a duel. Uh, and as, you know, both of them agree and Ryder's like, I don't like this, but whatever, you know, like I'm just here to moderate. <laughs> um, and as they're about to start the duel, Ryder notices that there is a sniper, uh, who has their sights trained on Sloan. And so we have a choice here. We can either save Sloan or let Sloane die. And, you know, one will result in Sloane being alive and thus maintaining control of Kadara Port, and the other will result in the charlatan, a.k.a. Reyes, taking control. Now, Ken, I had assumed coming into this that you would have chose the Reyes version, but it seems like you, mm-hmm. like me, chose sloan and so i feel like i've already made my mm-hmm. case for why i like sloan for why i think she's mm-hmm. good for kadara and good especially good for the initiative she makes it very clear that she's like willing to work with the initiative and all that if they're able to maybe not willing to work but able to like start to develop lines of trade and things like that mm-hmm. and i kind of i kind of like that you know later on in Eladin, i will kind of make a similar choice where i don't necessarily want to take over colonies that already exist i just want everyone to live in a mutually beneficial situation where they right. can also still have their own agency if they so desire it. Um, right. For you, I want to hear your decision-making in this process because I'm fascinated. So, 
the timeline of this is all kind of weird because I, I, when I actually played it for the playthrough, I, I wasn't settled on the guild. Like, I mean, okay, I had not locked in the guild relationship. I wasn't very much settled on it, but I am like a person that has like I could write my own novels about like the motivations behind my characters in Bioware games. So my thing is, what I do basically like the story that I am writing when I do the Kadara Port missions is. My writer is still very much at the point where he's a bit of a hoe, he's just flirting with everybody, and he's helping Reyes out, and, like, clearly he's trying to sabotage Sloane Kelly in one way or the other, but, you know, he's very cagey about what it is, and, but my writer's sort of thinking is, well, as long as you're just, you know, fucking everybody else over and not me, whatever. So when Reyes, like, steps out of the shadows and writer's like, oh, you are the charlatan, and this entire time you've basically been playing me too... That's when it starts to like click in his head of like, not only do I not like, am I hurt that this person that I trusted was lying to me the whole time, but it also is that moment where he's like, I'm kind of done just fucking around and just, you know, it always being ho o'clock. Like I want something <laughs> that resembles stability here in Andromeda. Now that I am in this new galaxy and I have a chance to have a new start, this is probably where I'm going to start. But uh, first, I'm about to sabotage my ex-boyfriend's plans and shoot him as he tries to escape because dr- the dramatic flair. Does, does shooting him kill him? Because I chose not to shoot him because I was afraid that would kill him. Uh, no, because after the fact, you get an email where he'll say, well, at least I have the scar to remember you by. Mm, okay, gotcha. Yeah, I chose not to shoot him. You shot him because you are vindictive. I enjoy that. I like mm-hmm. that. Um. <laughs> and now we get to establish an outpost on Kadara. Uh, Sloane takes a cut, which I, I think both of us agree here that that makes sense. You know, like we we want to establish yeah. friendly trade, and if she's going to provide, you know, spaceports and protection, we'll you know provide a cut of the trade we're offering and all that. Um, Addison is hesitant. Who cares? We're <laughs> like we need to start to build bridges. We need to stop trying to like wall each mm. other off walls are you know right as hideo kojima's death stranding says let's build bridges let's not put up walls um that is actually Jesus a major th- theme of death stranding <laughs> ken i've been thinking a lot about death stranding recently <laughs> i bet you have been oh boy i've been making a game of the year list and that's getting real hard <laughs> mm. um but let's head over to Elodin, where I gotta be honest, I was less into this storyline. I was kind of mm. waiting for it to, like, really escalate into something as interesting as Port Kadara, because as much as we just kind of breezed over some major plot stuff, Port Kadara was pretty entertaining. You know, there's a lot of, yeah. uh, you know, fun. It was it was freewheeling. You know, it helped that it took place in, you know, somewhat in an established outpost. You know, we rarely ever ventured out to the wildlands uh we mostly stayed contained within the port so that was a lot of fun it felt a lot more like mass effect that we're used to where maybe we're in yeah. the citadel or when Novaria or something like that we haven't that's like one major part of this game that i felt was missing was that feeling of like civilization like a space society right. that has been established and what that looks like we don't get a sense of that because none of that has been established and again that's like why if there was a sequel to this game i would like to see it'd be set in a further future right. where it's like more 
built out because I like seeing. <sighs> never mind. I know. I, I, I said right, I know. but no, you said no, right. Now you're against wrong. It. Very wrong. Um, but I would want you. Know, I want to see. Like it's it's interesting to me. You know what does a society look like as it builds up on these planets? You know what do they turn these planets into over time? Uh, that's what I would be interested in seeing and. That all is great. Elodin is mostly just in a desert. Oh man, mm-hmm. um, whole lot of desert going on here. We set and still some fucking mountains. We set down, and also like this is kind of the same conflict that we have in Port Kadara, where it's the established rule and then kind of the uprising that is happening against it, and we kind of have to mm. pick a side and then go with it. And again, I just felt like the choices were more compelling in El- in in Kadara than it was in Elodin. But we can we can get mm-hmm. there. Um, we we meet with Jorgal Strux, who is uh, kind of you know our contact, letting us know what's going on on the planet. I'd already talked to him before at this point, uh, like before I came back to actually do the settling and stuff. I talked to him and started some of this, but. Uh, the Krogan colony, which is on this planet because they left after getting kicked off by um, by Tan, uh, and 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 that that ass face, what's his name, Spender. Um, mm. The Krogan colony is under the rule of Nakmor Morda, and things could be better. <laughs> it's it's mm. it's kind of weird because you get kind of the sense that yeah, things are bad, but also like you're kind of being told it's bad you don't get a lot of like very obvious right reasons for why it is bad but you are hearing that there is some sort of revolt going on meanwhile drac you know and, and again i'm with you on this you put in your notes you bring drac with you on this same here mm-hmm. i wanted drac with me i think i ran uh drac and vetra this whole time uh which was a good yep, combo same. um and as we start moving uh, into this, we, we run around, we, we talk to all the different Krogans, we go to the Krogan colony, we set up contact with another contact. Um, Morda is really does not like us. Obviously, we are initiative. Nope. She does not like initiative. Um, we, we meet another contact who tells us about uh, there's a drive core uh, that will be used as a bomb. Uh, so there's that big crashed remnant ship that's kind of been the just hanging out there and it, it gets noted to mm-hmm. us the first time we land on Elden they're like hey that looks important but we've never really gone to it and now we get to actually go to it because as we find out there's a drive core within it and it could be used as a bomb so uh, they claim the the revolutionaries let's say claim that uh, Morda is trying to claim it to use it as a weapon against the initiative. So we're like, oh, we got to take care of that. Um, We go fighting through massive amounts of remnant and Sudoku puzzles and, um, (laughs) and also other factions. Uh, There's a lot of weird, like you mentioned here, there was weird platforming in this. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, there's usually are in like the remnant vaults, but we haven't really been to one in a minute just because we did all the loyalty missions these past few weeks. So it was one of those things like I forgot that this was a part of the game until it was right in front of me. Mm-hmm. And and we end up just kind of going on a wild goose chase, not only through the remnant ship all the way through the remnant ship, but then out the other side uh, and across the desert looking for this drive core. Uh, 
and eventually, after fighting through several locations and kind of tracking it, we get to... <sighs> yeah, no, don't. we're not even done yet. Uh, oh, wait, no, yeah. I, I'm not even thinking. I'm thinking that there's even more to this. Um, we find uh, Krogan, who are not from Mortis Group, dead with a drive course stolen. Um, we keep fighting and fighting and fighting and just going through more and more open world bullshit which really just kind of drags it out and i'm just kind of like and i think the idea is to make them go like oh who's really got the drive core who's playing who what's going on here but it just gets mm. drawn out so much that i'm just like god i want to bash my head in this freaking drive core <laughs> Um, it was like, what if I just flew away and let them fall? Exactly. And, and when we finally get to it, we we finally found the freaking drive core in this like what do they call it the the flop house or whatever. Um, we find we find a yeah. There's a hideout eventually that we found it. We find out that Strux's men took it. Um, so we were basically set up to locate the drive core, so Strux could take it. Is, was my understanding of that i i gotta be honest i was getting hazy at this point because i was just like i do not care anymore <laughs> but um we get back to the throne room and now strux is trying to frame us that we were trying to steal the drive core and sell it and now he has saved it from us saved it from the initiative and is the true leader of the krogan uh and then there's just this really dumb fight scene between strux and morta where yeah it lasts for like all of two seconds yeah. and they just headbutt each other like i think that's it they literally do some and weird like, punches and then headbutt think, each other right yeah. t-rex um, arm like punches whole... <laughs> yeah um and so the reason why i said Could it's have like, just like headbutted him and be done with that oh yeah, yeah well the reason why i said it's like it's two factions here is because you kind of end up deciding whether you trust the Krogans or not. And and the choice in the previous one was like whether you trust Sloane or not, right? But mm-hmm. at least in that situation, you're kind of playing this idea of, I almost wish it could have been Strux versus Morda and you were having to decide. And then there was some sort of ramification from that because... Mm. The whole choice of choosing to trust Sloane or not also is informed by whether you trust Reyes or not and right and so while like determining whether you want to work with the exiles or not is actually the larger decision of kadara uh Elodin is just about whether y- you want to work with the krogans or not whether <laughs> whether you want to trust the krogans with the drive core or not um and they even tell you like they want to use it to power the colony like they that's what they care about um right. but the the argument against that is like oh but they could turn it into a bomb and it's like you know krogan's they love those bombs and it's Mm -hmm. like i I gave it to them because like damn that will bridges not balls like it's Mm -hmm. and and so like i i brought all this up like like i've been framing it this way because my frustration here is maybe one of my frustrations with I've been thinking about it a lot recently. Okay, so I wrote uh, earlier this week. I say earlier this week. It's only Tuesday. So yesterday, I wrote, um, <laughs> I wrote a story for US Gamer that was uh, looking back on. You know, basically, I was like, okay, well, it was the 10th anniversary of Dragon Age Origins the other day. I should probably write something about that. 
So I went looking back through interviews to see if there was just some sort of interesting thing to write about. And the thing I kept seeing come up that I thought was really interesting that actually has me now like way more interested to play Origins than I was that I've been expressing on this podcast so far mm-hmm. um, was the idea of morality. And and like in interviews, they had Laidlaw and, and Gator and stuff out there saying directly like mass effects morality system can be like constraining like this idea Mm -hmm. that everything has to be paragon or renegade ends up forcing you to the extremes they were saying this in 2009 we were saying this in 2019 they were already (laughs) recognizing this in 2009 after the first mass effect um which then makes you wonder why choices were made in two and three but hey you know what (laughs) just roll with it um uh they knew from the outset that like they wanted to change the way that morality worked and and their idea was that they wanted this dark fantasy world where everything was kind of in the shades of gray which is a thing i think dragon age even one greatly accomplished was this idea of morality that Mm -hmm. you know they didn't have the paragon or renegade they had the approves and disapproves and so you had these fluctuating relationships with characters in your team and you weren't making decisions based on who you wanted to bring along for their combat powers or whatever maybe for an extra piece of dialogue but it was like hey i might be about to go do a thing with the templars so maybe i shouldn't bring my mages with me (laughs) because there might be some complicated decisions i have to make um and I like that a lot. And and I was thinking a lot about how Dragon Age, especially over time, you know, once they got to two and Inquisition, started to pose you with more and more interesting um, problems that weren't just speech checks, you know. And and none mm. of these here are speech checks, but they felt binary in a way that just reminded me a lot of Mass Effect One. And and I was like, yeah. these choices feel very binary and arbitrary, and they also feel like they're not even really choices you know maybe like the reyes and sloan one is fine like i can see how there would be two sides to that and you're going to choose one over the other like i get that much but the eladin one just especially like anyone who has played mass effect up to this point is never going to choose the screw you krogan choice like except for our one listener who did choose to destroy the (laughs) genophage kurt (laughs) good job to you but uh everything else like i i just found that this choice was not compelling and i you know eladin just ended up kind of being forgettable for me overall in this game yeah yeah it's it is one of the things where like it is nice to know that you know the crow because like you know we wake up in andromeda and we're we've learned that all these messes have been made of relationships with you know not even like you know the native people of andromeda but just like amongst our people so it was nice to at the you know at the very end like kind of fix that or like mend that bridge as best as we can mm-hmm. but the actual getting there never felt as sort of like i don't know like it's just not as memorable like compared to things like going to the shroud and to, onto chanka like that is like the more memorable way in which i've seen relationships between everybody else and the krogan sort of get mended where this was just felt like a it very much pale in comparison yeah i just it it's kind of a bummer you know it's because i think if you're playing this game naturally and and kind of doing the things in the order they come and and you're doing these pathfinding missions eladin is the one that you will end on because it's kind of the last 
uh, world that you end up going to that is a potential outpost mm. world. And um, I, I forgot if you just mentioned this just now, but like if you decide to keep the drive core, you can't settle an outpost on the on the Krogan on Eladin. They won't right. let you. Um, but I I just thought it was like such a weird note to end it on, and also like when you finally finished. And and you've put down the last outpost. You don't get a lot of fanfare for it. <laughs> like, it's Addison's mm-hmm. just kind of like, great, cool. I have outposts to manage now. Thanks, Ryder. And that's it. And I was like, okay, neat. I feel like I've not accomplished anything. This this I, mm-hmm. I don't feel good now. I feel bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like I've done nothing. Um, I mean, there are still things to be done on that front that we'll get to. Yeah, there, there. That maybe we'll get a little bit more. Uh, there, there might be some more party hats for those. I, I'm interested to see because it feels like there are a lot of threads left dangling right now, and we've got one episode mm-hmm. left to tie them all up. We have a single. Can we have one episode left of Mass Effect? Period. That's it. Mm-hmm. And it is. I mean, what day is it today? It's the. As of this recording, it's the 5th, so by the time it is N7 day, we will have covered all of Mass Effect in a single year. Well, besides one episode. Yeah. We will be one episode short of covering all of Mass Effect in a single year. And I think we probably would have made it all the way there if, I think there was a week we had to take off or something. Yeah, the, the E3, E3 week. E3 week, yeah. So if if I had soldiered on through E3 week, we would have timed it up perfectly that we would have had our finale right before N7 dang (laughs) well i mean it doesn't it doesn't particularly matter because not only is there now another holiday uh dragon forge day (laughs) um whatever the fuck it is uh but we also have uh thetis to go to we have our dragon age playthroughs to start over the holiday break after we get done with i mean i'm going to start mine over the holiday break because we were already breaking down all the stuff that we're going to need to cover for origins alone. And it was like, Oh buddy, <laughs> there's, there's a whole lot of video like, game. Oh right yeah. Here. That game has DLC. Yeah. There's a lot of DLC is <laughs> alarming amount of DLC, mm. uh, which we will not be covering all of them. Just going to throw that. Yeah. Out I mean, like I, I think one or two. Maybe? Well, I mean, we can give a peek behind the curtain that we've already said that awakening, obviously like that is critical. Um, I, I'd almost say that's like, half a game right there because it's from what i remember that's a pretty robust expansion uh yeah. and, but then there are a lot of other ones um Leliana's song which, which is kind of not really critical and there's like the one with the dwarves and all that i know that witch hunt is a crit yeah witch hunt is a critical one because that yeah. involves morgan mm-hmm. and kind of what happens post campaign with morgan um and also Flemeth. I think that involves Flemeth as well, right? That gets into some of that stuff. Uh, I mean, she's involved, like, by association, I guess, is the best way Yeah, I'm trying to... I know that there is a decision that you make in Dragon Age Origins that affects something in Dragon Age Inquisition. Uh, which, the way... Mm. I will say, like... And Ken, you might get a little mad at me for this one. But the way that mm. Dragon Age choices carry through that series compared to how some Mass Effect choices carry through in that series is really impressive. <laughs> like, 
I know we've already voiced uh, our concern, like voiced our anger, our frustrations over like the Rachni decision not really meaning anything in the long run and things like that. Uh, you know, kind of mildly affecting things, whereas like choices that are actually hard to uncover in in Origins and two can end up playing a role in Inquisition. Like Flemeth is the one I think of immediately, but I think there are other choices that you can make in those that will then affect much much later things or even just add extra dialogue and things like that um i I remember seeing the keep for the first time and being like oh my god these are all choices i could have made that might have little things that flip here in inquisition that's amazing like now whether how much that actually impacts is a different story too but well i was gonna say as a person that had lived like especially through like 2007 to 2000 like 12 or so like lived in like the under the hood sort of like everyone looking at exactly how things impact other games uh dragon age is not even close to impressive it's actually kind of very dismissive of a lot of shit Mm. but we have whole we have like three and a half whole seasons of normandy fm to talk about that we do we do i'm actually i'm really looking forward to that and it's thanks to all the wonderful patrons out there who have supported us who make this possible we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash normdfm. Uh, your donations, everyone who is listening to this, uh, who donates, y'all made this possible that we are going to go on to Dragon Age. Uh, we do have to give a special shout out to Anthony and Ginny. We are shouting you out because you got to the tier where you get the shout out, so you're going to get the shout out, okay? No, you're not allowed to fight it. You have to embrace the shout out, Ginny. Uh, thank you all so much for donating. And thank you to everybody else, too. You all, like, everybody who pitches in any amount of money helps keep things running around here, uh, helps us cover SoundCloud costs, helps us cover just whatever costs we have. There are some some ideas I have that we might want to run in the future that we might use Patreon money for that Ken and I might talk about right after we're done recording this, because I haven't told him about this at all, but I had had an inkling of an idea today that I want to float by him, so we'll talk a little bit. And... Yeah, overall, like, we're we're excited. Like, we're at the end of Mass Effect. We will ostensibly be Normandy FM without a Normandy. I mean, we've been without a Normandy for a while, but we will be outside of the Mass Effect universe entirely once we get past next week's episode. And it feels a little bittersweet in some ways. You know, yeah. I've enjoyed this, Ken. I've enjoyed the time that we've had together. Yeah. I, I think we've done a good thing. Yeah, it's a... It's because like, I mean I don't even remember if I've even said this and normally I have like perfect memory so this is very un, this is uncharted territory for me. I don't remember if I said it at a point in the show that like I started working in games, mm-hmm. I like or at least considering that as a career like a year after Mass Effect three came mm-hmm. out. So I never had the outlet to talk about Mass Effect in any fashion in the way that our work is. So it has been like you know a very it's, I mean, it's been a long, a year-long passion project for us. But I, uh, um, for another, for a site that I exists around, <laughs> uh, a sort of, uh, you know, one of the best games of the decade list was coming up, and they're like, okay, put like maybe two down that you might be interested in writing about. And I had a moment where I was like, I want to nominate Mass Effect Three, but I also feel like I've said my piece on the series now. Like I don't. Like, I don't have that drive to, like, write the blurb mm-hmm. or, like, the long essay about what I've done. Because, like, we have, you know, we have this little, we have this time capsule mm-hmm. now of our thoughts on the series. 
that, I mean, if I want to express my feelings on the master, I'm like, oh, go watch or listen to episode 30. I don't know. Fucking whatever. It's like, it's a weird feeling to f- feel like I finally got all the stuff that was <laughs> built, like, that has been building up all these years finally. out in a, like, in a sort of, like, semi-professional fashion. Thank you for crowdfunding Ken's therapy. It's very important. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, I'm in a much better place than I was a year ago. <laughs> thanks to you. Um, but I will say, like, the... The relief. <laughs> the thing for me was both, like, taking a more critical lens to this series has helped me overall, both in the way that I look at games in general and also, like, the way I think about this series. Because um, I had a lot of love for Mass Effect 2. And it's helped me contextualize that love a little bit more and also kind of examine the way I look at games a little bit more. But also, like, it's just become a way to... I think when we get so wrapped up in talking about games, and especially like Ken, you and I are both news dudes. Uh, we we are dudes who do the news. Uh, you can kind of end up a little jaded, a little cynical, because you you see just it's constant. Like I, I feel like half the time the stuff I cover is has some sort of negative tilt to it. You know, there's like oh a thing has mm-hmm. been delayed. Oh fans are mad about this. Oh there's a controversy over this, and yeah. having an outlet to just express feelings about a game that aren't inherently tied to like outrage or anything like that like even when we're Mm -hmm. completely like Mm -hmm. laying into the game like we were with jaw or like we were today we're still that's coming from a place that loves this series and enjoys what this series does Mm -hmm. i mean i don't think either one of us would be doing this thing if we didn't inherently enjoy what we were doing we're not people who do stuff we don't enjoy we do things that we enjoy and we end up working in them (laughs) because we're weird people like that um and so, like, my favorite part of this series so far has been the the intro that we did for the last episode of Mass Effect 3, where we had everyone put mm-hmm. in their audio clips and we mashed them all together because, like, the first time I listened to it, the full run through, I was like, this is, like, this is the encapsulation of what I wanted from this series, was so many people yep. expressing how so many different like from so many different angles and so many different ways how this series has affected Mm. them as a person we don't talk enough about how games affect us as people you know we talk about how Mm -hmm. they're consumed how we consume them how we play them who's better at playing them that sort of thing but we don't talk about the effect that they have on us long term or the effect that they have on us as a person and i feel like that's something that we've striven for here at norm dfm that we have achieved so to all of you at home, thank you for supporting us on this journey. This may sound like goodbye, but it's not goodbye. We're just getting re- you know, we're getting near the end of a big landmark, so we get a little emotional when it happens. So we'll see you next week for the big Andromeda finale here on Normandy FM. Media film. Media film.